Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Now, today's guest is a renowned microbiologist who has researched, studied, and written about Alzheimer's disease for almost four decades. He's discovered several Alzheimer's disease genes, including all three early onset familial genes, and he's worked on developing therapies for Alzheimer's using mini brain organoid models of the disease. And if that's not enough in his spare time, he plays keyboards for guitarist Joe Perry of Aerosmith, amongst others. In fact, he's been called the rock star of science. I'm talking about none other than Dr. Rudy Tanzi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Wonderful. You you do something I've always wanted to ask people about, and I never understand what this means in academia. So you're a professor of neurology at Harvard and simultaneously like a vice chair of neurology, uh, and you're a co-director at Mass General. And so how can you be the professor of this and master of all that is at multiple places all at the same time? How, how does that work? Well, my academic appointment at Harvard Medical School is professor of neurology, and I hold uh, what's called the Kennedy Chair. So the Kennedy family made a chair for their okay. parents, Joseph P. Rosa Kennedy. But at Mass General, mainly what I do is run a large research unit of several labs, including my own, all doing Alzheimer's and brain health research. And then as things go, they ask you to take on administrative jobs. So vice chair of neurology department at Mass General, uh, co-director of the McCann Center for Brain Health, co-director of the Mass General Institute for Neurodegeneration. And although that sounds like way too much, most of those administration jobs are mainly helping people to stay afloat and putting out fires. So most of the hard work goes into the actual research I do. So it's mostly help. It's mostly helping people. You know, it's helping people to survive the rigors of academic science. Okay, thank you for answering that because I've always I've always kind of wondered when you see someone who has this list of credentials that's incredibly long. Uh, but you've you've been involved with something like more than 600 papers, and I would consider you one of the the top names uh, who's been studying Alzheimer's for a very long time. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show is that you've kind of shifted your mindset from what we've believed for a lot of the last 35 years about what's going on. So tell me what you know. What's changed in your perspective on Alzheimer's uh, around beta amyloid and what you know, we all thought was causing it? What, what's new? Well, I, I would say that I've had to adjust my mindset. You know, the first genes I found back in the 80s and 90s all said amyloid, right? The amyloid plaques yeah. cause the disease. And those, that, you know, that doesn't go away. Those genes still cause a very severe form of Alzheimer's and four different genes three of which we found you know, at Mass General Harvard, all say amyloid deposition in the brain is what starts the disease. So everybody for decades has said, let's stop the amyloid, we'll stop the disease, right? It's kind of like think about cholesterol and heart disease, mm-hmm. right? That was pretty controversial in the beginning, that cholesterol, no one believed cholesterol was, would, would cause heart disease. But now, we, what do we know now? If you have congestive heart failure or a heart attack, imagine... Your doctor says, here, just take a statin. Just take a Lipitor and go home. Well, your heart's not going to get better. Mm -hmm. The cholesterol started the disease off decades before, and then you get to the point of clogged arteries and and, and arteries in the heart that are clogged, and now you have congestive heart failure. It's too late just to take Lipitor. You would take it anyway, but you have to fix the heart. Well, what we've learned is the same thing in Alzheimer's. The amyloid comes really early. It comes decades before the dementia comes and it builds up and we've learned that the amyloid then causes nerve cells to die mm-hmm. by evoking these things called tangles, these twisted filaments that, that, that kill the nerve cells from within. And guess what? Now we've learned that's not even enough to give you dementia. That just kills some cells. But the next step is now as those cells die, because the amyloid caused the tangles and the tangles are spreading and killing little pockets of nerve cells not enough to give you dementia, that then has to trigger a very primitive innate immune response in the brain. So the brain has the immune system equivalent of an oyster or a horseshoe crab. It's <laughs> immunoprivileged. It doesn't want antibodies or T cells or B cells or everything else the body does. It's very clever. Brain says, 
We don't want to risk anybody coming in here. We have a blood-brain barrier. We take care of ourselves. So they have these little cells called glial cells, mm -hmm. and they're normally housekeeping and nurturing and helping the nerve cells. But when they smell some cell death, they are programmed the same way they were 50,000 years ago when we were running around in the jungle and our lifespan was 25 years old. And at 20 years old in the jungle, 50,000 years ago, if nerve cells were dying, you had an infection. You got bitten by a bad mosquito. And those glial cells said, this part of the brain's infected. Wipe it out. And guess what? The brain never got the memo about how we live today. That same evolutionary program is in place. We have evolutionary baggage. So you have plaques that come really early and tangles and you kill a few nerve cells. And the brain's immune system freaks out and says, we're in trouble. Wipe it out. And that is what kills enough nerve cells to get Alzheimer's disease. It took 40 years to learn this. But that's science. You learn from your mistakes. The key, the key is you learn, you adapt, you, you move on. And we're doing that right now really well. It feels kind of like the plaque in your arteries is a, a band-aid for damage to the arteries. And, and the, the tangles or the plaques in the brain um, are there because something caused inflammation. And then you get these sort of band-aids and then you get a follow-on effect from the body. It, is that a, a good way of looking at it from a layperson's perspective? Well, it's a little different, you know, okay. and it's a good analogy, but it, it, it needs some nuance, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Heart, with heart disease, you know, inflammation can cause plaque, but just high cholesterol can cause plaque, right? Well, depending like on which kind of cholesterol, it could cause plaque, right? Well, a, a high LDL, high, you know, what we call small, bad cholesterol. Small particle high, LDL, yeah. Yeah, right, small particle LDL. But, you know, in Alzheimer's, um, when you get enough of this amyloid beta protein, and when I, I found the first Alzheimer's gene back when I was a student at Harvard, and it makes the gene, it's the gene that makes that amyloid beta protein. I called it amyloid protein precursor, a really boring name, ABP. And that stuff is being made in the brain. We now think it's made in the brain for a reason. And we can get into that. We think it's actually protecting the brain against infections. Yeah, yeah. But put that aside for a minute. As this amyloid pep protein accumulates, it's sticky. And it does form plaques. And it aggregates and as that stuff aggregates, we now know that that causes the tangles made, of a, made up of a different protein called tau. And now nerve cells start dying. But the inflammation that kills the bulk of the nerve cells, removes the bulk of the synapses that causes dementia, comes after that process. Whereas in heart disease, you get kind of more of a juxtaposition, as you were saying, of cholesterol deposition, plaque, and inflammation all around the same time. It's a little bit more iterative in the brain where you go from plaque to tangle to cell death, trigger neuroinflammation. Now you get the big virus fire that, caught, that kills enough nerve cells to cause dementia. So I, I wrote uh, an anti-aging book um, that came out recently called Superhuman, um, hit the, the New York Times list for a couple of weeks. And I went through this idea of, of plaques, or amyloid basically throughout the body. It, it's not just in the brain, there are different types, um, not necessarily amyloid beta. And it seems like there's a bunch of common elements that can create amyloid, which is one of the big seven pillars of aging in all tissues. Are brain amyloids that different from the amyloids that make all of us age? It's a different protein, right? I mean, which, 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 the one thing they have in common is that there are some amyloids in the body outside the brain that are from proteins that normally try to protect you against microbes. Mm -hmm. So they're called antimicrobial peptides. There's lactoferrin, for example, and seminogelin. And these things, when they get overly exuberant in their job of clumping around microbes and trapping them in goo called extracellular traps, they can cause amyloidosis of the heart, of the eye, etc. In the brain, amyloid beta protein, as my late colleague Rob Moyer and I found, is the main antimicrobial peptide of the brain. And when it encounters a bacteria it starts to glob around it and form a plaque. We showed that a plaque can form overnight just due to one single bacterium in one of our papers. Wow. But you can also have genetics, gene mutations, like the early onset genes, that allow you to make this plaque all the time without the need for a microbe to seed it or nucleate it or, or you know, trigger it. So um, every amyloid's a little different, starting with the protein that makes it and how it's triggered. 
But in the, the thing about the brain is that, you know, genetics can allow you to accumulate this amyloid over time without the need for a microbe. Just like there are genetic forms of amyloidosis in the kidney, the spleen, the heart, the eye, the seminal vesicles that allow you to make amyloid without any provocation except a difference in the protein from the gene from a mutation. Does this mean that anything that reduces inflammation might be good for Alzheimer's? Only if it reduces brain inflammation, which is very, again, very different than body inflammation. So if you try ibuprofen or NSAIDs and steroids, they have very limited ability to stop neuroinflammation in the brain because neuroinflammation in the brain is the only thing the brain has to protect itself. It's, so it's very different. So in the brain, you, you literally have these microglial cells, and glia means Greek, is Greek for glue. They used to think they just glued the nerve cells together, so they said glia is glue. But these little cells are normally housekeeping. And when mm -hmm. you're in deep sleep, getting back to circadian rhythms, when you're in deep sleep, after REM, these little microglial cells go around like scrubby bubbles and clean up the, the amyloid and all the de deposited debris. Right. And then, literally, the brain squeezes it out. It actually constricts and squeezes this crap out through the lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's why you need to get enough sleep because I, I call it mental floss. It's when you're right. cleaning your brain. I like right. That. So so now meanwhile, if, if 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 nerve cells start dying, these same little scrubby bubble microglial cells are they're sentinels and they have ways to detect that nerve cells are dying, just like they did fifty thousand years ago. And when they sense a certain amount of cell death, let's say due to plaques and tangles, which are the initiating pathology of Alzheimer's the pathology that comes very early for mm -hmm. symptoms, they freak out and they say, wipe out the area, wipe it out, we're under attack. They assume the same thing that they assumed 50,000 years ago. If nerve cells are dying, it must be an infection. Well, guess what? At 70 or 80 years old, you could have nerve cells dying because you accumulated enough plaques and tangles to kill enough. And it's an unnecessary innate, it's an unnecessary innate immune response. Mm -hmm. So you have to learn what activates these cells to switch from housekeeper to killer? And my lab found the first gene that does that. Back in 2008, we found the first Alzheimer's gene called CD33. We didn't know what it was at the time. It was actually kind of funny because Time Magazine mm. made it a time medical breakthrough of the year. And like if, we said, if they only knew, we have no idea what this gene is. And it took us like five years to figure out that the CD33 gene is the on switch that tells the microglial cells, stop housekeeping and stop killing. So now a lot of companies and what we're doing is we're trying to turn that gene or turn that protein off as a way to stop neuroinflammation. That's just one way we're trying to do it. Now, neuroinflammation, you said it's different than bodily inflammation. Aren't the, the inflammatory molecules called cytokines that run throughout the body? Are they kind of the same, like, like the, the ones that are, are known for causing inflammation in the body, uh, IL-1, IL-6, tumor necrosis factor, there's herbs, there's dietary things, there's ketosis, there's fasting. They seem to lower them in the body, but don't they also lower the same ones in the brain or are these ones that don't get into the brain? You're right. The cytokines are the same. The, 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 so the, these microglial cells, when they, get, when they turn into killers, yeah. They spit out these cytokines, just like in the body, the macrophages do that. Right? Mm -hmm. The microglia is like the macrophage of the brain. And when they spit out these cytokines, what that does is it invites the other glial cell in the brain, the astrocyte, to the party. So the astrocytes that are doing different jobs that are also helpful get turned on by these cytokines that the killer microglial cells are spitting out, and it makes the astrocytes become reactive. Then the astrocytes gang up with the microglia and just go on a killing spree, eating synapses, eating axons, and killing neurons. Mm. So now the microglial cells get the astrocytes to help wipe out that brain area that they think is infected because some nerve cells died, and they do it together. The cytokines get released to do that. Just like in the body, the macrophages, when they, re when they release those same cytokines, cause an even greater inflammation response so to, to start taking out the tissue. So for people listening, we don't want our parents to get Alzheimer's or we don't want to get it ourselves. I'm, I'm planning to live way longer than I'm supposed to and I'd like to remember my name when I'm old. Uh, so, I, I mean, 
what what are the things that you would look at doing as someone who studied this this foe for for 40 years knowing that we don't know how to stop alzheimer's but if you had to make a bet as to to the behavior things that are going to be good i'm guessing exercise and sleep might be on your list <laughs> are there are there any other things that you you know what we don't know for sure but i have a gut feeling after 40 years i bet you i bet you that's better than doing nothing you got anything for me you know what the answers are not surprising right i mean so I wrote, you know, I wrote this book with Deepak Chopra yeah. came out a couple years ago. It was the just healing on the show, self. by the way. It's it's cool, yeah. Oh, great. So in, at the end of the Healing Health Self, we had the seven-day action plan for reducing inflammation in your brain and body. And uh, and this is a weird story, but uh, around the same time the book was coming out, I had a new album coming out with Joe Perry and Johnny <laughs> Depp. I love that. And, and Zach Stocky, the drummer from The Who, you know, Ringo Starr's wow. side. And, and they were having a little record release thing, and I had rehearsals. And I'm thinking, I got to also do this, this book thing, talk with Deepak and a couple of others. And I'm saying, how can I quickly summarize the seven-day action plan in the book? And I was literally in the shower, and I keep this thing called, uh, uh, I guess called shower notes or whatever. But it's a pad you can write on in the water, and the little pencil says on it, don't let those good ideas go down the drain. Oh, nice. It's, because you know, like when you're in the shower and like the water's hitting your head, you kind of get into a theta rhythm, meditative rhythm. Yeah. You have all these great, you get all these great ideas, and then you like get out of the shower and you're like, oh man, what the heck was I thinking about? And it's all gone away, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote down shield as the acronym. Okay. And it was S with S was for sleep, because you got to sleep eight hours to get the brain to clean itself enough. Glymphatic system. H is H, right? H is handle stress. The stress causes cortisol. Cortisol can kill just enough nerve cells to then trigger neuroinflammation, just like the plaques and tangles do. Um, I um, is interaction, staying socially engaged. Uh, loneliness is a risk factor for Alzheimer's. Not being alone, but being alone and not liking it, which is loneliness. Right? Right. Exercise. We published a big paper in Science a year or so ago showing that exercise induces the birth of new nerve cells in the part of the brain that's affected by Alzheimer's. And we could make Alzheimer's mice better by getting new nerve cells to be born with exercise. And we actually were able to mimic that with two different drugs. Now we can mimic it with two different supplements. This was via BDNF and NGF, brain-derived nootropic factor and nerve growth factor, or is it something else? You're right. It was BDNF uh, together with a drug that that just triggered neurogenesis. So in other words, if you just triggered the birth of new nerve cells called neurogenesis, it Mm -hmm. wasn't enough because they would die. Yeah. So you had to give the BDNF at the same time. It's kind of like growing tomatoes in, a, in, a, in an urban battle zone. You know, you got to add some miracle grow to, right. to survive. So, so you, you cause the new nerve cells to be born, but there's inflammation and everything's crap going on. And you add the BDNF and it's like miracle grow and they can survive and then help. So you, okay. need, to, you need both. So that's the E exercise. Um, and then L is learn new things. So, you know, the bottom line is Alzheimer's, the degree of Alzheimer's correlates with loss of synapses. So you have 100 billion nerve cells, you got you know tens of trillions of synapses, and the more you learn new things, the more synapses you make, the more you can lose before you lose it. So I tell people, you're gonna retire, don't just think about financial reserve, think about synaptic reserve. And then, and, uh, and I, so you know, if, you're, if, if our listeners are learning new things right now, we're helping them, if I'm putting them to sleep, I'm still helping them, so either way, we win. <laughs> um, D is diet, so diet mm-hmm. is, Really Mediterranean diet. The Mediterranean diet, plant fiber, less red meat. I'm a vegetarian. I haven't had red meat since college or fish or chicken. Um, um, but more plant fiber, olive oil. And you got to help your gut microbiome because your gut microbiome keeps your brain healthy. You can literally, we published papers showing we could, we, we could dramatically reduce plaque and neuroinflammation in the brain by having a healthy gut microbiome. And a lot of people take probiotics, which are fine, but you really need prebiotics. You need plant fiber to keep those bacteria in your gut healthy and happy. I, so I, take, I take about 40 to 60 grams a day of specific plant fibers I formulated uh, as a part of Bulletproof, I, I, plus all the vegetables that are the foundation of my diet. But I'd love to learn what those are because I, I just take a very simple uh, fructooligosaccharide, which I'm sure doesn't oh, do much. It, so. It's called Sorry. it's called Inner Fuel, and it's a, a mixture of acacia gum, uh, which will outperform FOS on studies. Though FOS is good, wow. um, FOS comes from inulin. But it, if you take very much inulin, um, it, you fart like no one's business. Uh, we use inulin from chicory in the bulletproof collagen bars for a reason. It's a prebiotic. But 
So in inner fuel, we've got acacia gum, we've got larch arabinogalactin, which is another sap of a tree that these are ones shown in studies to feed the good bacteria, not just feed any bacteria in the gut. And then uh, the third thing is um, hydrolyzed guar gum, which is another plant fiber, but it's hydrolyzed, which means we break it down with enzymes before you get it. So it goes in and feeds the bacteria. And it's, you know, 35 calories. They put two big scoops of it in your coffee, and that gets you about, the, I think, two thirds of the RDA for fiber. I've made it because I couldn't, I, you can't eat enough plants when you travel. You order a plate of vegetables, you get three spears of asparagus, and it makes you mad. So the, the answer for that was I just put that in my coffee. I'm okay. I, I would love to learn. I, I will I, send it to you if you want something. Happy to. That's that's great. I have to say, I do take the FOS, but I'm not going to admit to having any flatulence problems. You know, that, that's why working with, with anesthetized patients is a good idea when you're a doctor, because then it doesn't matter, right? I'm kidding. Yeah. But the, uh, um, the idea of managing your gut bacteria is it's just emerging so much with inflammation in the brain. And you can actually see when butyric acid goes up in the gut, which is what the good guys make, that uh, at least according to two studies I could find, uh, inflammation in the brain goes down directly, like the inflammatory cytokines we talked about before. So we, we can't say that prevents Alzheimer's disease, but lowering inflammation in the brain seems like a good idea generally to me and for all sorts of performance reasons and probably is protective. True statement, maybe true. I, what's, your, what's your take on that? Uh, very true. In fact, let me okay. tell you some exciting news. Um, I started a company with two young guys uh, Justin Klee and Josh Cohen about six years ago. They were actually undergraduates at Brown University when mm -hmm. I met them. And uh, so they had this idea that to protect against neuroinflammation, right? How does neuroinflammation kill a nerve cell? It's by depleting its energy, right? Oxidative mm -hmm. stress. Oh, yeah. So they, they said, um, if you're going to have a bulletproof vest, right, mm -hmm. then it has to, you have to protect both the mitochondria, the energy center, and the endoplasmic reticulum or the ER where proteins are made. Exactly. And, you, and, and it, from what they could find, no one did a trial where you protected both. And they argued you only have half of a, of a bulletproof vest. So we used a taurine analog, TUDCA for one. And we used, as you were saying, butyric acid. We used phenylbutyrate, phenylbutyric acid for <laughs> the other side. And you combine them. And it was amazing. Like when we did studies in putting nerve cells in addition, you add hydrogen peroxide to kill them. These two together save 90%, 95% of the nerve cells. It was unheard of. I thought it had to be an accident, a, a fluke. So fast forward now to this past year, uh, the company we started was it's called Amelix. I'm, uh, you know, for transparency, I'm a shareholder because sure. I'm a, one of the founders of it. Thank you for exposing um, that. A-M-I-L-E-X? A-M-Y-L-Y-X. Um, Amelix. Mm -hmm. And so they did a trial, uh, these two bright young guys, they're 28 years old now, did a trial in ALS. So this is full-blown uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah. Six-month trial, 130 or so patients, and they used that combination, and the trial worked. They announced a successful trial um, back in December. In fact, uh, you know, the ice challenge bucket, ice bucket yeah. challenge of ALS, the Pete Frades who started that was able to learn two days before he died that this trial worked. The ice bucket funded a lot of the wow. actual clinical trial. And this, this drug worked so well in the trial, it's going to be announced at uh, the AAN meeting, American Academy of Neurology meeting in Toronto in April. That, that gives me goosebumps, man. I, I yeah, just, and he I got love to learn that like two that. days before he passed. Yeah. That, that, that there may very well be this year, if things go well, a new approved drug for ALS uh, based on the work of these two bright kids you know, that I helped out. And uh, they're not kids anymore. But, you know, it just shows if you just protect this, this isn't even stopping neuroinflammation. It's just protecting the nerve cells in yeah, advanced that, ALS patients against neuroinflammation. And they, they got a significant um, uh, difference between the drug and the placebo for rate of disease. If you look at the number of brain conditions that are tied to neuroinflammation, you've got autism, uh, ADHD, uh, yeah. Pretty much Parkinson's, uh, some Alzheimer's. It, it's a oh, long list. I did, but I did a whole book on brain, mostly about mitochondria, but brain energetics and all that. And it's interesting because this idea of adding a phenol molecule, phenylbutyrate, phenol makes stuff long-lived in the body, but it's relatively simple. There's something called phenol GABA, which I'm a huge fan of for sleep, except that it keeps getting uh, sort of gray zoned by the FDA, which is just GABA, a neurotransmitter for calming the brain. You add a phenol to it so it doesn't break down. And people go to sleep really well on it, but they get addicted if they take a lot of it, apparently. But 
the idea of, of going through and finding a relatively simple way of, of I'm going to call it hacking the brain that your two colleagues figured out. They just thought about systems biology, said, what if we did this? This isn't like a new molecule that came from a spider they found in South America. <laughs> this yeah. is just, the, how, how should it work? What if we tried this? So kudos to them. And uh, that's the sort of thing where I'd say, hmm, I wonder if I should just take that on occasion to make my brain live longer, but I'm sure trials will come out for that later, right? Well, we got an Alzheimer's trial going now. Okay. And, um, but, but, you know, the thing is that no, it was amaz- amazing to me to find out that people had done trials trying to protect mitochondria, but no one ever tried to protect the, where the proteins can get, you know, um, yeah. misfolded at the same time in the ER. And so, you know, the, here's this combination, and then, and then, you know, it worked. And now, so I have another company I, I'm helping out as the head of their SAB, again, shareholder, called AZ Therapies. Where instead, where we use the Alzheimer's brain in a dish model you talked about earlier, right, the, brain, right. the mini brain organoids, and we we just you know now that we have these mini brain organoids the size of paper punches, we can screen any drug natural product a hundred times faster, hundred times cheaper than when we had to use mice, and actually it's a much better model than mice. I mean, mice kind of suck as a model wow. for the brain. We we like to say in my lab that mice are like Vegas. What happens to mice stays in mice. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't read them I've never heard that. Really. I like that. <laughs> so, so we use these uh, brain organoids, but we just one of the drugs. It's an asthma drug called chromalin. You mm-hmm. know, is able to take the microglial cells and keep them from being killers and keep them in that housekeeping state. So it stopped the <sighs> neuroinflammation. So we fix. So with this company, we worked out a way to get chromalin. Like if you just take regular chromalin for asthma, it won't get into the brain. But we, it was reformulated and delivered in a way that does get into the brain. Nasal spray a liposome or something. No, it's just a micronized, oh, highly micronized powder chromalin with, a, with a, 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 an inhaler that gets it into the deep lung. Cool. So now the chromalin can be transferred into the blood through the alveoli and into the brain. So that trial is an Alzheimer's. It's a phase three trial. It's going to read out later this year. Um, and they're also doing an ALS trial. So that's the other side of the coin. Take out the sniper. In other words, the, wow. the Amelix kids gave the bulletproof vest. That worked. The other company is trying to take out the sniper, take the microglial cell killer and turn it back into a housekeeper. Imagine if you had both together, if they both work. Basically, you could treat Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, depression, autism, just like you were saying. 20 years from now, are we going to be looking back and saying, man, that was the dark ages. People's brains just kept screwing up all over the place as they aged, and now like, we just know how to do it? Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Absolutely. Oh, that makes I me mean, so happy. Look, I, I think so too. It's, it's been a learning curve. I mean, you know, I was involved with the first ever genetic studies to find a disease gene back when mm-hmm. I was 20 years old with Jim Gasella. He was 25. We found the Huntington's disease gene. We wow. found the first five genetic markers in the genome, got ridiculously lucky with just a handful of genetic markers where the gene could be anywhere, we found it, you know, with 20,000 to one odds against. And that study kind of triggered the Human Genome Project. And I do hope Jim Gasella, who was all his idea, mm-hmm. will get the Nobel Prize for that someday. It was the first time a disease gene was found by genetics. But, and then I switched over to Alzheimer's after that and found the first Alzheimer's gene. But I think about it, you know, we've only been finding these genes for these mysterious diseases for a few decades. But, and we've, and the first, here's how it works. The first genes you find are the really extreme cases, yeah. early onset, familial. So they tell you about the earliest events that happen that are now happening even earlier. Like you're born two years old, you're already having these events happen. Normally they don't start till 30 or 40. So then you try to treat those events in a patient and it's too late. You're trying to put out a forest fire by blowing out the match. The forest fire is neuroinflammation. These early genes taught us about the triggers, the matches, the brush fires. It's too late to stamp those out. But now all the newest Alzheimer's genes we're finding, like over a dozen of them, tell us how to stop neuroinflammation 
And one of them was this first gene we found, CD33. And now you're seeing the drugs come out. You know, you got the, you got the trial from Amelix, you got a new trial. You're going to see a whole, you're going to see that just like glory days coming up for brain wow. disease in the next few years. There's, there's two things I've researched a lot and, and written about and talked about that have studies specifically for, uh, for Alzheimer's that were positive. One of them was MCT oil. Um, and the other one was uh, nicotine, not smoking. Smoking is clearly going to cause inflammation yeah. from burning stuff and breathing it. Uh, but nicotine itself, Paul Newhouse's work at Vanderbilt since 1988. And these are both bioenergetics, right? You're basically giving the mitochondria more energy via sticking to different receptors or just giving it a different fuel source with more electrons. Um, yeah. Any validity uh, in your experience uh, on on stacking those approaches with the new drugs or with the shield protocol that you talked about? Uh, yeah, I can't see the harm in it. I mean, why not? I mean, I don't think giving an alternative energy source is going to save, no, it's not going to stop the disease or cure it. But, you know, if the problem in the end of the day is that neuroinflammation is depleting nerve cells of energy and you know, and now you're given an alternative energy source, like, you know, anaerobic energy source. Why not? You know, why not do that for the patient? Um, but I think if you, you know, so I would say stack it for sure. Um, and, but I don't want people to say that, you know, uh, MCTs or virgin coconut oil is a cure. No, it's, it's virgin a coconut oil doesn't do very much compared to, it's the same as eight hours of fasting, like basically sleeping overnight. So coconut oil, no. The, there was a phase two clinical trial on a on a, one of the types of MCTs that had really good results that was reversing, um, but it's just one study, right? And and so I I don't know that that's a protectable IP thing, but it it feels like maybe there or even just any kind of ketogenic diet because when you get the ketones in, the mitochondria perform better, and a mitochondria that doesn't leak electrons doesn't create inflammation, and that was that was the model. So the approach that I've been advocating is do everything that reduces inflammation in the brain, which includes having high functioning mitochondria at the same time, you know, you eat less stuff like bad fats and sugar and all that. Yeah. Uh, and, and you stop pissing off your immune system with inflammatory uh, proteins. If you know what they are, stuff like that. And basically you ought to live longer or at least function longer, uh, without getting bad stuff, whatever the list of bad stuff is. Um, but I, I, I wonder if there's more there. And what about nicotine? Like, that's so controversial. You may not be able to say anything, but what's, what's your take no, nicotine, there? nicotine, I, I, so I actually take nicotinamide riboside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. And, NR. And NAD, I take, right? I take, yeah, I take, it's a precursor of NAD. Um, it, it, it boosts ATP levels. It boosts energy. Yeah. Um, in our hands, it also induces neurogenesis. In fact, nicotinamide riboside induces neurogenesis better than the, uh, drugs we were using, the chemicals we were using in that science paper. Yeah. And, um, and now we're trying to find additional supplements that can induce BDNF because if you induce neurogenesis and BDNF, then you can mimic the effects of exercise. Not that you take exercise away, but at least ex the, effects, the beneficial effects of exercise for the brain. Right. Right. So we now found like theamine, coffee fruit extract, cat squat yeah. extract, um, all of these things induce BDNF. The first shipping coffee fruit extract um, that was specifically uh, for raising BDNF was a bulletproof product. It, it's uh, still out there uh, called Neuromaster. Uh, so I, I'm like, oh, hey, wow. this this raises BDNF four times more than exercise. Maybe you should take this and then do some squats. <laughs> like, like you might as well, well do both. <laughs> and I, and I, so we're, we're giving uh, nicotinamide riboside together with coffee fruit extract oh, neat. to mice because so we're following up on that science paper saying how can we help these Alzheimer's mice the way exercise did. And exercise, remember, both induced new nerve cell birth, neurogenesis, mm -hmm. and induced BDNF. So we combined the nicotinamide riboside to induce the neurogenesis, and then we induced the BDNF with either coffee fruit extract or cat's claw is also very good. Cat's claw is interesting because um, it's a South American herb that's been used for Lyme disease and toxic mold for a very long time, where you tend to have neurological breakdown, even the myelin protein that lines your nerves can break down. I, full disclosure, I had both of those. <laughs> I started playing with that a long time ago, but now we understand kind of how it works. And even things like uh, psychedelic mushrooms raise uh, uh, levels of BDNF and nerve growth factor in the brain. I'm not uh, saying yeah. that Alzheimer's people should be eating a bunch of red and white mushrooms, well, but there's interesting studies. I'm like, how do we get more? Any well, other ideas you know, for how to get more more of that besides yeah, exercise? So, yeah. 
so we're doing it. So, so basically, um, so this guy, Alan Roses, um, another Alzheimer's researcher and I test this, uh, cat's claw that we got out of Peru. Mm-hmm. And we actually started a company that sells it as a, as a product called Percepta. It's cat's claw plus oolong tea. And we, t- we tested that in Alzheimer's mice and actually it has anti-amyloid, anti-tangle, anti-neuroinflammatory properties, but it also induces BDNF. So again, I'm an equity holder in that company just for transparency purposes. But you know, I believe in something, you know, I get, I get behind it. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, just, just get it out to the masses. If you have to start a company, do it. But the, the, the other, the, you know, when you, when you're talking about uh, mushrooms, so yeah. Paul Stamets, who you might know, he's been on the show. Love him. Yeah. But, he was so sitting Paul right, right here. And I, well, he's now collaborating with us. Oh, good. He, he just, he just sent us five extracts. I told him, don't send anything hallucinogenic. I, I don't want to go to yeah. jail. You know, I but lion's mane though. <laughs> Are you guys looking at lion's yeah. mane? Well, we've already been doing lion's okay, mane good. and we have some good results there. So he sent us extracts of non-hallucinogenic versions of, I guess, the psilocybin family mushrooms. I don't even know what he, he sent. I mean, yeah. you know, Paul's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Oh. And so Paul sent me this, these mushroom extracts and I said, you know, we'll prepare them and we're going to put, we're putting them on our Alzheimer's in a dish. We're going to see what they do to plaques, to tangles, to neuroinflammation, and get back to them. But we just started doing that collaboration now. I met him at the Exponential Medicine. Uh, uh, I miss Exponential Medicine because I had to get home to see my kids after the Abundance uh, 360 conference with Peter Diamandis. So I just missed meeting you there. But that uh, that idea, and you said something really important there. Uh, I get behind the things I believe in. If you have to start a company, go for it. So, man... Full respect for that. There's always trolls out there saying, well, you're making money. How dare you say it? Like, look, you want to do something useful in the world, you might want to make it pay for itself. So high five on starting multiple companies or being involved advising multiple companies making stuff that you can't buy. Uh, That's kind of how the world evolves. So uh, You can't wait for others to do it for you. If you believe in it, you do it, man. It's a lot easier to sit there on Twitter and yell at the people who do it and then buy their stuff anyway. Oh, believe me. I've been the victim. (laughs) You know, I wrote three books for Deepak Chopra between those and the stuff I do. I mean- I don't care about trolls. They can yell all they want. At the end of the day, people are going to remember who helped them. And not only that, the more they yell, the more they're likely to get a neurodegenerative disease because of the stress part. So you can just feel <laughs> yeah. compassion for them as they yell at you and drain their neurons, right? That was I kind do. of dark. I, do feel, I actually do feel empathy for them. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to eventually. <laughs> now, okay, so there's a bunch more potential new mushroom stuff. Uh, and I, I just, I respect Paul so much. He's he's a good human being. Um so we've got some exercise going on. What about the circadian stuff? Sachin Pando's been on the show. One of my companies, again, full disclosure, I started it because you had to do it. Uh, we make glasses that for me and for a lot of people report a doubling of deep sleep when you measure it with a, a ring or however else you measure it. And um, it seems like going to bed on time, getting large amounts of deep sleep are important for that. What's, uh, what's your take on circadian timing fasting, uh, darkness for Alzheimer's and neuroinflammation. Are those things that you can measure with a brain in a, in a dish? Well, you know, if you think about what sleep is doing for neuroinflammation in particular is right after REM, during that slow wave sleep, you know, you're consolidating memories. So your dreams are fictionally regurgitating whatever memories were triggered all day. So you can consolidate and reinforce those synapses during the slow wave deep sleep. It's during slow wave deep sleep, it's also the only time you're not making amyloid in your brain, right? Because amyloid's mm-hmm. being made in your default mode network that maintains your ego and who you are all day, all the time. Only after REM during slow wave sleep does that thing turn off, right? And, um, but, but thirdly, it's during slow wave sleep that microglial cells go to town and they just start chomping up all that debris and spinning it out and get in the brain to constrict and get it out. It's called the glymphatic system. Glymphatics when the glial cells eat, lymphatic systems when the brain squeezes it out. So you need to get enough of that REM to deep sleep cycling, and you need to get enough sleep uh, for that purpose. Fasting, I fast, you know, um, uh, several times a week because I do think inducing a, 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 an anaerobic um, um, uh, metabolism is, is, is also good for the body, good for the brain. I don't are think doing MCTs, but intermittent fast. You're just skipping breakfast basically, or are you doing a longer fast? Uh, so after dinner the night before I don't have breakfast or lunch. Okay. And so intermittent fast, 18 hour kind of yeah. thing. 
18 hours or maybe it's sometimes longer and then drink a lot of water all day and then, okay. then eat dinner at night. Uh, I have, I actually, you already answered my, my biggest question, which was like, is there hope? You know, are, in 20 years, are we going to just be done with this? Is 20 years too long? Is this a five-year problem? Well, here's, here's how it's going to be. Um, in the next five years, we're going to help the patients who have Alzheimer's now by finally giving them what they need. And that means drugs that stop or supplements or lifestyle behavioral modifications, all the above, that hit neuroinflammation. It's too late to hit plaques and tangles in people who are suffering from you know, full-blown Alzheimer's right now. Maybe if, if you get them in a really early stage, you might be able to hit the plaques and the tangles. But that's what we've learned. That's, we can do that in the next five years. I mean, the first drug trial that, does, that, that protects against neuroinflammation, I just, you know, from this company, Amelix, I helped start, is already going to be out there, you know, and, and uh, the next ones are coming. Um, as far as, like, the, the, what's going to happen, I have an 11-year-old daughter. How is she going to stop Alzheimer's when she's older? She's not going to wait for neuroinflammation to come around uh-huh. and then try to put out the fire. She's going to stop the initial match and brush fires to get you there, meaning she's going to be monitoring a blood test, but if she's making too much plaque or tangle in her brain, and she's going to start taking, whether it's a natural product or a drug or modifying her lifestyle, she's going to do what she has to do to bring the amyloid plaques down when she's 20 or 30 years old or 40 years old. Just like with heart disease, yeah. you know, we don't, we, we take, we, we manage cholesterol at middle age, you don't wait to get heart disease and say, okay, now I'm going to manage my cholesterol now that I have congestive heart failure. That's going to be the root of entry. So I think for the, the longer term of early detection of Alzheimer's, early prediction, mm-hmm. followed by early intervention, where you stop the initiating pathology way before you get to rampant neuroinflammation, that's stage two. And that's going to take, you know, probably more toward 10 years. Wow. And I would think but only that 10 years. Like, 10 wow. years, yes, because now we know how to do it. I have a drug I've been developing with a colleague at, in San Diego for 20 years called a gamma secretase modulator. It's the last man's, the last drug standing. There will be a small little white pill you can take to bring your amyloid down. All the rest bit the dust because they weren't safe. Ours is, we hope, is going to be safe. It's going into clinical trials. It's predicted based on how it was developed to be safe. And we're hoping that's going to be, if you have to take it, hopefully your lifestyle and everything else you're doing it would mean you don't have to take it, but just in case, just like mm-hmm. you have to take a statin, right? It's go- we're going into clinical trials at the end of this year. After wow. 20 years of development, $50 million of preclinical development, the trial, the safety trial, with my colleague Steve Wagner will start at the end of this year. So good things take time. And I'm thinking if that drug, that drug's going to take some time to get out there, but if that makes it, now you've got, you, you got a blood test that's going to come out of WashU St. Louis in about a year or two. So the future will be you get your blood test at whatever years old, 40 years old. They say, hey, you know, for your plaque in your brain, you're in the uh, like 40th percentile. It wouldn't hurt to take this little white pill to bring your plaque back down. Now, we don't want to wipe out your amyloid beta protein because it helps protect your brain against microbes. We just want to dial it down, just like you would take Lipitor to not wipe out your cholesterol, but dial it down. Mm -hmm. That's future. That's going to take a little bit longer. But the first anti-neuroinflammatory medicines for neurodegenerative disease, neuropsych disease, they've already started. They're going to be out over the next few years. This was one of the the hypotheses, or hypothesi, whatever, more than one of those is called. Hypotheses. Hypotheses uh, for uh, for superhuman is that there are hundreds and hundreds of researchers who've been working for two, three, four decades on hacking all of the different pillars of aging, the big diseases, and Alzheimer's disease was one of the big four killers. It was uh, the fourth one, but 10% of people are likely to get it if you look at statistics today. And the deal is, how do you not be one of those 10%? But also, it's one of the big things after cancer, heart disease, and uh, diabetes, Alzheimer's ranks. So, but every one of those has their rock stars like you, although not all of them are literally rock stars, but hey, you know, uh, what what's going on there is all of it's hitting fruition this decade. And this is why I think we're going to live a lot longer than we think we're going to live because the big killers are getting taken out and the root causes around this buildup of 
amyloid and all of the other things. There's someone working on it. Guys like you know your your two former kid kids you know now in in their mid twenties, but your business partners, hey, they they did it and it didn't take them that long. So I'm I'm more hopeful than I've ever been about our ability to to be very healthy, very energetic, and even look good when we're old. Are you there too? I mean, you think that's where we're going? I'm right there with you. Okay. I, I, you're spot on. And I would say on, on Alzheimer's, think about this. Um, at 85 years old, 40% of our population have at least the early symptoms of Alzheimer's, if not full-blown Alzheimer's, for 85. The current lifespan is 80. A kid 12 years old right now, or even someone 20 mm-hmm. or 30, can't expect to live till 80 or 85. If you do the math there, for people in their 20s or 30s right now, they almost have a 40 or 50% chance of living long enough to get this disease. Because yeah. they're, they're probably going to live to 85, at which point, depending on the study you read, have a 40 to 50% chance of having Alzheimer's. On top of that, you're 20 or 30 right now, and you know, you're paying off your college uh, 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 loans and medical school or whatever, graduate school loans, and you finally get free and you have kids and you pay for their college. And then what happens, you finally say, breathing room, and then you got to take care of your parents who are living long Uh enough to get Alzheimer's disease, right? So, I mean, this disease just hits every age group. And a lot of young people don't think about it, but now they have to. The other thing that's just worth noting, in fact, oh, I got to ask you this. So I was the the largest supporter, uh, individual supporter last year of uh, Maria Shriver's Women's Alzheimer's uh, group. And Alzheimer's hits women more because they tend to be in caregiver roles but they also get Alzheimer's like 50% more often than men. Right now, there's two thirds of people who have it are women versus men. Um, mm-hmm. Are your little brains in Petri dishes? Are they girl brains or boy brains? Well, that's the thing. So so I'll tell you something. So actually, <laughs> today, um, at a luncheon in New York, my colleague, my geneticist colleague who works with me, is at the Women in Alzheimer's Movement uh, luncheon. With Maria Shriver. With Maria Shriver. Because, I love her. She's so good. Because they, they just fund they just gave us funding for our study to find genetic risk factors that predispose women different than men. And we and we already found um, four different genes that increase risk in women but protect men, or vice versa, increase risk in men and protect women. Like the exact opposite of men and women. So are half and, your brains female brains with the cell cultures well, the, you're doing? The problem is that we can do that. We have mixed female and male, you know, nerve cells from stem cells, but a lot of it has to do more with hormones and steroid. So, because it's hormonal differences, you can't yet replicate that in the dish. So, I can't really say we're truly addressing male versus female. You'd risk have to, in the dish to add test, test, uh, testosterone or estrogen to a certain cell along with a treatment and see or something. Wow. Okay. Still, but 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 wait, yeah. but wait. I'll tell you something. One of the supplements that's like uh, estrogen, genistein, yeah, um, was among our natural products that had a really strong effect on tangles, actually, in women or in this, men. No, in this in the dish. Oh, in the dish, yeah. It has, yeah, it has problems for humans who take it. From what I've, um, I'm not saying to take saying. it. I'm just saying yeah. it worked in the dish. Yeah. It, it was one of the things. So yeah, some of those weird plant uh, phytosterols can do cool stuff, but if they're also hormone mimicking, we got to look at the system. Well. I feel like I could yeah. talk to you all day, and I, I'm really grateful you took the time for the interview. And just, just to help everyone listening, just know we are hacking this. There are guys like Rudy out there who are actively doing the heavy lifting uh, that is showing up for you. So when you say, oh, I should take this you know, bottle of supplements, there might be 20 years of knowledge or 60 years of knowledge. And the stuff about Cat's Claw. Uh, the shaman who first gave me ayahuasca 25 years ago took me to the market and had me buy cat's claw and told me to take it afterwards because it would help. Okay, he knew yeah. something. He couldn't spell BDNF, right? In fact, I don't know if anyone could we not have known about it. But there was ancient knowledge there, but we didn't know why. We didn't know how. We didn't even know whether it was actually safe. Uh, but you know, you've you've gone out. You've looked at that, and and there's so much like that. So I, I just, I'm incredibly inspired, incredibly hopeful, and actually expecting. Uh, improvements in all of the markers there, and and so uh, the audience that's listening today just got to hear, you know, from one of the guys in the trenches. So just uh, my thanks, and on behalf of the hundreds of thousands of people who are going to hear this, thank you. Thank, well, thank you. And can I say one last thing? If Absolutely. you're interested in supporting Alzheimer's research, the Cure Alzheimer's Fund is who I work with. It's curealz.org. Cure Alzheimer's Fund's given out over 110 million dollars of research funding 
and it's the best top Alzheimer's research in the world. And I and every dollar they take in is a dollar out. They take no overhead out of your money. So if you give a dollar, it's a dollar out to research. And they're a great foundation. And they've made a lot of these discoveries we talked about today possible. So Cure Alzheimer's Fund. All right. You guys heard that? If you're inspired by this or if you have someone in your family um, who is... Uh, you know, who's affected by this, or you just don't want to be yourself and you think, ah, I got 20, 30 years if I have to worry about that. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> Fund a little bit now. So 30 years from now, you definitely won't have to worry about it. Curealls.org yeah. and the Women's Alzheimer's Movement are both pr- just profoundly good charities. Uh, and yes. going out there and, you know, maybe going for a walk is a good thing to add to your stack as well. <laughs> so Rudy, thanks again for your work, for your books with Deepak uh, and for starting multiple companies that are solving the problems of mankind. And I hope that you make incredible amounts of money from each one of those because I know what you'll do with it. You'll probably put it back into research. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but right back into a foundation. I've immensely enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.